But, but you know, we're really, in, in, for us, we're not really even into political season, right? And we're getting crowds like this. We were all over, over the last couple of weeks. We like to troll. We like to go the night before one of their primaries. We just, we do a little trolling. It's called, we do a little trolling. Bernie Sanders was very upset. Why would he be there? Why, why? Because I want to win. I want to keep everybody happy. Guess that's a good reason. China, China, China. build a great, great wall on our southern border, and I will have Mexico pay for that wall. I've been very nice to you, although I could probably maybe not be based on the way you have treated me. I, I just told him I've got to come over and see the fake news. Let's go. We all need to laugh. Politicians are all talk, no action. Nothing's going to get done. They will not bring us, believe me, to the promised land. Rocket Man. All right, we're going to see what happens. We're going to be excited. Thank you very much. I'm going to build a wall around Mexico. You are fake news. You don't see that because you won't report on that stuff. It's more, you know, the conflicts are more fun, right? Your organization's terrible. Our country is in serious 
trouble. My call was perfect. Hey, hey, in this room, it's so hot in here, maybe I'll start to believe it myself. I will be the greatest jobs president that God ever created. I don't wear a toupee. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. It's a complete and total disaster. Together, we will make America great again. RPN is not responsible for the views, actions, statements, or opinions of its guests, advertisers, or even its viewers. The information contained in this program is not to be confused with medical or legal advice. An appearance on this platform is not necessarily an endorsement. But as always, we encourage you to do your own research. Enjoy the show. It's got to be the cross. So I sit there and I, my wife and I, we, we drive up there a couple of days ahead of time, mm-hmm. uh, we get our little hotel room and then we drive up the cross. So, and, and, oh, by the way, Have a good time. Good evening, everyone. You're listening to Red Pill 78. As always, my name is Zach Payne, the corruption detector, and this is another edition of Red Pill News for Friday Night Livestream. Joining me in the studio tonight for the very first time, a name you may recognize from having been in the chat. He is an Anon, a viewer of the program, and tonight he's going to be premiering his face for the very first time because we're going to be speaking about something called the Urantia Book. Now, the Urantia Book is a mysterious artifact with, I guess, I don't want to say questionable, but... Uh, Perhaps mysterious, mysterious provenance. And it goes into some subjects that pretty much are the bedrock of humanity and civilization. Now, it's controversial for some people, but tonight we're going to be speaking with Goat Herder about his experience with the Rancho Book. We need to know exactly what it is, what it's teaching, and what is the ideas it holds within So please do me a favor, if you haven't yet, hit the like button, hit the share, I would sincerely appreciate it. 
And I sincerely hope you enjoy tonight's show. You guys, we're not doing a call-in tonight. I have an event tomorrow in Lakeland with uh, a bunch of people actually from the chat. So I have to get some sleep because I have to get up very early. But sit back, relax, and grab your popcorn. We'll be right back after this. Seniors and homeowners across the nation are finding themselves replanning their financial strategies after the country saw a dramatic rise in home values. Now, you couple that with an unsettling and volatile stock market earlier this month, and you may have a recipe for disaster. This puts millions of seniors' financial futures at risk. However, a promising new trend is emerging despite the complex financial climate. It's one that offers stability and opportunity amidst the chaos. Tens of thousands of seniors are thriving financially because of reverse mortgages. A reverse mortgage allows seniors to profit from untapped equity in their home while offering financial relief and stability when they need it most. It's a especially effective in a time where traditional investment returns are unpredictable. With reverse mortgages, the bank pays you for a part of your home while you're still living in it, offering a steady stream of income or a lump sum while helping to ensure long-term financial health and stability to the homeowner. The best part is there's no monthly payments on reverse mortgages. You simply continue paying your normal expenses, such as property taxes and home insurance. And because of the current financial landscape, there's never a better time to take advantage of your home's equity. Work with Mutual of Omaha to customize a reverse mortgage solution that fits your unique financial situation today. Simply go to reversemore.com to get started. Once again, that's reversemore.com to get a free quote today. And when you support my sponsors, you support this channel. You sure about that? You sure about that? You sure about that? Oh, I hit the wrong button. <laughs> uh, someone in the chat was just saying, well produced. Well, thanks, guys. I just, I just rearranged a whole bunch of things and I'm so used to the, 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 the setup from the weekday shows and I hit the wrong button, but that's okay because we're here right now and I'm welcoming Goat Herder to the program. Goat, how are you tonight, buddy? Doing great, man. Good to see you, Zach. Awesome. It's a pleasure to see you. It's actually a pleasure to meet you for the very first time. Obviously, we've spoken in the chat a whole bunch of times, and uh, you had actually reached out to me because I had mentioned the Urantia book on the air uh, because of the, the the kind of various subjects that it hits in uh, in within it, and uh, I had said that I'm not particularly well-versed on, uh, you know, what it encompasses. And I only know a little bit about its history, but I think it's a fascinating story. And to be honest, you are the first viewer or anyone in real life that has come to me and said, hey, this is something I know uh, more than just a little bit about. So I thought it would be awesome for us to have a conversation tonight and uh, and kind of dive into what it is and, and what you think it means. But before we do that, I want to know a little bit about you. What, what are you comfortable telling the audience uh, about yourself tonight so they can get to know you as well yeah well i'm a florida boy you know like you so grew up in south florida um went to uh, engineering school at ucf and uh pretty well spent my whole career as a electrical engineer and a um, military defense contractor oh wow you, you could probably guess which one um in orlando yeah <laughs> so, that's awesome good for you but um so that and and when i retired which was about eight years ago, I decided to move up here to North Florida, away from the traffic. Mm-hmm. Kind of nice up here. I'm not too far from Journey Springs, okay. if anyone has ever been in that area. But um, let me tell you how I got introduced to the Urantia book. It was uh, back in, I think, about 81. I, th- I was just out of college. Um, 
I was already an astronomy, I had a telescope, and uh, my neighbor that lived across the uh, hall from me, he was a uh, civil engineer. And so he was, he knew about the book, he was reading it, and he came over one day and and said, uh, hey, I'm reading this new book, it's talking about super universes, I don't know what they're talking about, and, you know, being familiar with space and astronomy, he, he asked me, could you like read a few pages to decipher this super universe? <laughs> you know, I said, yeah, sure. You know, so I read a few pages and, and I, I told him, I said, it looks like our Milky Way galaxy in a super universe is uh, one and the same thing. So he was, uh, you know, he was happy with my uh, answer. And uh, so I'm handing, you know, this giant book back to him. And I said, who wrote this? <laughs> and he goes, the angels wrote it. <laughs> and I was like, all right, time out. <laughs> so, so, what do you mean the angels wrote this? You know, explain yourself. And uh, so he starts going off on this, you know, long discussion of, you know, up in Chicago, this contact that was made 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually started in really early 1900s. So, you know, I listened to his uh, his spiel and uh, I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm not going to believe what people tell me unless I do my own research. So I went out and uh, bought a copy of the book and uh, it's a tooth thousand page book yeah it's, it's huge I've, I've, it, I've held one before <laughs> it's huge and i'm not a big book reader for so for someone like me to go through this it, you know it was a big task but you know i started to I, I skipped around just looking at different topics and um you know i could see that i was talking about god trinity in the beginning very deep subjects it, it got into um like the whole organization from God down, basically. Mm-hmm. And and then it got it to the history of this uh, planet. This planet is, is called Urantia. And, um, and then the last part four is the story of Jesus. But there's no missing years. You got every year in it. And it gives you exact dates, you know. But, you know, you get to a point where, like, how do I know someone didn't make this up? Right. Well, and, 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 and I got to be honest. I mean, that's my first question. I mean, the idea that, uh, you know, anytime you have somebody who says, hey, somebody that's not physical, you know, gave me this information, it was channeled or it was sent to me. I mean, the, the first obvious question is, you know, how do they know where the information came from or, or that they're not just making it up themselves? Yeah, exactly. Um, so one thing I noticed is a, there's a section of science in this book. Mm-hmm. So it gets into physics. It, it, it got into atomic structure. And, um, and and that's what I'm good at. Uh, when I was in college, um, I developed a new chemistry chart based on electron quantum theory. Cool. Um, and, th- and then after working at my company for about a year, and by the way, when I came up with this chemistry chart, this is, you know, I, I was trying to get through a test on quantum numbers and my book sucked. So, you know, I was like played with patterns and I finally came up with a pattern like, Oh my God, it's a chart, you know, and I show my chemistry professor and he blows me off. Like, yeah, we've been using the old chart forever. That was his attitude. Get out of my office. Kind of like attitude. Sure. But this chart's really important. And, uh, but so I understand uh, electrons and, and atoms really well because I developed a second chart when I started working at my company. A, a nuclear chart based on nuclear uh, quantum theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my knowledge of the atom, okay, and then what the atom data was in the Urantia book is how I really confirmed that this book's the real deal. 
I mean, this book was talking about uh, charge swapping in the nucleus of the atom. This is 100 years ago. Well, we, yeah, didn't, the, the, and, we and, didn't know about quartz yet. So, OK, so so the concepts that it was discussing and I, I from my, what I understand, it was written between 1934 and 1935, like over a, a period of time. And I, we should also say it was not written consciously or allegedly it was not written consciously. It was supposedly uh, delivered as this man was asleep is that correct yeah so the first contact um from there was two couples involved the kellogg family as a couple and then the sadler family uh the sadlers were both medical doctors uh and he had the first contact in 1911 and um the story from what i remember reading is I guess the wife said, "Hey, my you know my husband's acting really weird while he's sleeping. Could you ch- you know please come look?" And so Doctor mm-hmm. Sadler went, and so whatever was occurring while he was asleep, he was able to communicate, I guess, mm-hmm. with with something. And now, and keep in mind, Doctor Sadler was this. This is the doctor that had a he's had a doctorate, a couple of doctor degrees, and uh, one of the, his degrees he would try to. Uh, uh, some of these psychics and some of these people that were, were just uh, BS artists, mm-hmm. he would prove them to be false. Right? He was always after the truth. And uh, so this was a uh, very interesting because he's, he's now personally seen something that he's never seen before. Sure. And then over the, and then he had, I guess, hired a stenographer that would take notes with his communication that went on. And eventually it, it evolved into this whole forum because this, uh, the voice, I guess. I don't know if they're using this guy's vocals when he was asleep. I'm not really sure. It, it sounds like that could be a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, after several years, uh, the voice finally said, "If you really knew who you were, in, who you were in contact with, you would be asking more serious questions." <laughs> and and like that was it. Doctor Sadler is like that's it. So he ended up starting getting you know these scientists and just people educated in all these fields and wanted them to submit questions about serious topics okay and then answers would you know so days would go on and answers would just keep coming back it would be like they would just appear like and uh, and there's a stories like being locked in safe and then things would just appear in safe so there's a mm-hmm. whole uh story uh behind the data that was collected over multiple years and the data was finally completed uh, in 1934 and then 1935 was the last piece the major piece of puzzle with the jesus uh section but um so tell me a little bit about the about the the science aspect i mean you know i'm not aware of like where we were in the 1930s and our understanding of some of these concepts i mean i i only know what i've learned throughout high school and 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 in the years after there were um there were all sorts of uh things i mean like uh, the planets for example it was talking about our solar system when it evolved. There were uh, 12 planets, uh, and they were talking about one of the planets was between uh, you know, Mars and, and Jupiter, and it, it, it got too close, and it broke up, and it got into all of this data. And, and what's interesting is that's the asteroid belt, because scientists had finally met, took the big chunks of the asteroids and ran to, the orbits like backwards in time mm-hmm. and they all kind of met, you know, at one, one place in time. So they knew it had to be a planet. And then since then we have discovered planets farther off from Pluto. 
they call them planetoids, but more than just a couple. So some of those were part of the, this like original 12. But as far as like the atom, uh, they were talking about the, this charge swapping within a nucleus and uh, how before a proton in orbit would get to another proton and push apart that it would turn into a neutron because charges would, would change. And it makes sense now because a proton is three quarts mm-hmm. and some gluons. <clears throat> and you look at a neutron, it's three quarts. And actually two of the three quarts are the same. But the bottom line is if you just swap one of the three quarts between the two, yes, you will turn a no- neutron into a proton and a proton into a neutron. So these statements made in your answer book 100 years ago make total sense to me. Some of the things that bothered me, though, was it said that you can only have 100 elements when you get 101 electrons in orbit. A disruption occurs in it. Okay. So you can't have over 100 electrons. I'm thinking, wait a minute, we, we're over 100. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you, and you look right now, we're, we're up to 118. So, like, how, how does that statement make sense? You know? And then, you know, so what I figured out is when you start to look at uh, something called valence data, valence data kind of tells you, you know, like when you lose an electron, what's the charge going to be? Right. Okay. Took a little chemistry here. And so when I started looking at valence data, what I noticed is the valence data stopped at element 105. And that particular element had a um, plus five valence. And I, okay. And then when I looked at 104, it was a plus four valence. 103, a plus three valence. One, element 102, a plus two valence, et cetera. And, I'm, and so then I realized, oh, when they made element 105, it didn't lose five electrons to give it that plus five charge. It never had them. So yeah. when these f- physicists bombard the particles together, right? That's and right. They smash them together and they make this nucleus, right? Mm-hmm. See, that's not real a, a real atom. An atom should be a neutral atom that has equal number of protons and electrons. Yeah. That should be how atom is defined. And that's not what they're doing. They're just smacking stuff together. It sticks for a short period of time, then it decays, and, oh, we made another one. Ex- yes. And that's what they're doing. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. Because none of those higher elements are, are existing in nature. They have to produce them in the lab, Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, it's all these little bits and pieces, you know, that pretty well uh, gives me a validation that, yeah, this is the real deal. And, uh, and like, I've never believed in the, the Big Bang Theory. I've always thought uh, the universe is much older. And, uh, and this book tells you it's much older. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. they're ta- talking things like the eight. The angels have data that goes to like 900 and some odd billion years almost a trillion years mm-hmm. and that's just where their data starts you know so it's pretty old out there so so this is so urantia there's an organization correct that kind of safeguards this book or who, who reprints it or they i know they have study groups and stuff what can you tell, tell us about that well so back in 81 when i found the book i started doing research all right we're we're Who's printing the book? You know, where's it coming from? Mm-hmm. So it was a Urantia Foundation up in Chicago. And the first thing I noticed is, uh, you know, they're they're being sued for the copyrights. You know, it's like it's a valid question, right? If Angels wrote this yeah. book, right, then how could they own the copyright? So, you know, I just kind of avoided the Urantia Foundation. 
and just read the book uh, by myself. But th- this organization is translating the book. I think they have somewhere like 17 translations right now. Um, and, uh, but, you know, they're doing, but there's more than one organization. There, there's been issues between organizations. Um, uh, they have made changes. The first publication wasn't in until 1955. They were, they were instructed to, like, delay the printing. So you had it because of World War II. So the first printing was done from all of these these notes from the, I guess that they had accumulated, and then uh, a human had to go then type typeset it in and for the printing, mm-hmm. and then they would destroy the plates afterwards. And so- after that, they started making changes. So the second edition, nineteen sixty seven, they changed a few words. And then there was another, and people didn't like that. Sure. That were, you know, believing in this book, you know, so now you have other publishers that, no, we're not, we don't, you know, we want to reprint it as the original first edition. So that's occurred from multiple people, multiple times. Matter of fact, I got several copies here. Like here's one from a different printer. Mm-hmm. It's not even called a year ancient book. It, it's literally called God's Bible. <clears throat> Big book, but it's got extra stuff in it. So you got the original 1955 version, but then they have all of the maps of the trips of where Jesus traveled, because the detail of his travels are incredible. So, is is your is your Ancha a religion or is it a philosophy? Is it simply a history lesson? How, how would you uh, like like frame the the, the conversation? So it, it's it, the book itself says it is the fifth apocryphal revelation on this planet. This planet being called Urantia. Mm-hmm. So that's what everybody from above, you know, calls us. And uh, and it goes into the the first four revelations. Yeah. You know, um, for example, the, it, it says that planets. There, there's trillions of planets uh, that are inhabited. We're not alone. This okay. book just tells you flat out, but it says that, and, and it tells you how planets start this evolutionary process. This is like God plan, but it's an evolutionary process. And eventually life will evolve until you get to a primate. And once that primate gets to a certain intellectual level, they will officially uh, put that planet on the books, give it a planet number, a name, it's inhabited, Okay. okay, and that occurred a million years ago for for this particular uh, planet. Now they set up a government, and that would be the first revelation that was done five hundred thousand years ago. Okay, and there's a whole story of what they did on this first thing. Okay, the second revelation is they will send down a pair. They're called material sons and daughters of God. Okay, and it's going to help with the genetic uplifting of a planet. Okay. That occurred 37,000 years ago, okay? And these beans that come down, they're like eight-foot beans. Those are your Adam and Eve's. So Adam and Eve was real. There was a real Garden of Eden, and it tells you where it was. It was like right off the coast of the Mediterranean near Syria. Uh, it sunk from activity, you know, which is why you can't see it right now. Um, but it, it goes into this the default of what really happened. There's a big story behind that. 
And so that was the second revelation. The third revelation, I'm going to back up between this Adam and Eve one. 200,000 years ago, a rebellion occurred. This is the Lucifer rebellion. Right. We can talk about that later. Okay. So this, um, the world was kind of not doing so well. And it, they needed an emergency uh, son of God called a Melchizedek to come down. He was like a, a priest. He came down 2,000 years before Christ. So this Melchizedek, his name was uh, Machiavelli Melchizedek. He's the one that taught Abraham. So a lot of this data that Abraham you know, put in the Bible was coming from this Melchizedek. He just appeared full ground. He was looking for people to get the truth out. He was teaching them. And then he just disappeared one day. You know, he did his job. Third revelation. Fourth revelation was Jesus. It was huge. He, I mean, I, I can't tell you how huge it is. Um, and I can go into that a little bit. But- I mean, I'm, I'm. This is one of the things that interested me most about it is those kind of lost years that you don't get from the Bible. Oh, you get everything. Yeah. Uh, I mean, from when he was born uh, through his whole life, and, and the trips he took that you don't hear about when he went to Rome and all that. So you get all of that. You get a lot. There's a lot of cross reference to the Bible. So the, the Ranch book carefully make sure that it will reference the Bible on some of these stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the feeding of the 5,000. Yeah, it really did occur. Bringing Lazarus back to life. Yeah, it really did occur. So it's validating a lot what's in the Bible, but it's giving you additional information too. So uh, does it, I mean, I, I've heard a number of different uh, kind of, I guess, legends for lack of a better word uh, of, of Jesus's travels throughout the world, you know, during those years that you don't have referenced in the Bible, does it coincide with any of those? I mean, for instance, uh, uh, there's, a uh, there's a village in Japan that Jesus, uh, allegedly visited, you know, many, many years ago, uh, before he came back to Jerusalem. And, uh, those people, uh, are, they have like a very specific sect of Christianity that they follow because like Jesus left an impression on them. And, and it's totally different from what you see in other places around Japan. Did yeah, they talk about that? J- Japan was not mentioned. Not uh, mentioned. Okay. Uh, okay. No, because I mean, he was limited by, you know, being on by foot with, or with a wagon. So he, he wasn't traveling far, you know, so I mean, where Rome, Rome was far enough. Does it largely only place him in, say, that 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 region of the world, like Rome, yes. the Middle East? Okay. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Just in that region uh, of the world, um, and then the uh, matter of fact, let me. I'd like to explain. Okay. Um, who Jesus is? Jesus is called a Creator, Son of God. And so he, he's not part of the Trinity, but he's still a son of God. And this, then there's more than one of them, but he's our son of God. And he controls a big chunk of our Milky Way galaxy. And he controls it with the mother Holy Spirit. So these two are like a, a couple. Okay. okay. And they, cre- they create beings. They create angels, Melchizedek, Lenanidex. Okay, material something dollars. To give you an idea of how big his piece is, he's going to have 10 million inhabited worlds. Right now, he's only up to 3.8 million. Okay, that's a lot of inhabited worlds, but it's only a small piece of our Milky Way galaxy. 
you know, if you go farther over in space, there's another creator son of God that runs out with another daughter spirit. Okay. So this book gets into this, uh, this chunk of space within our Milky Way that Christ does not have complete authority to control until he does seven tests. And a test is nothing more than uh, living a life of an angel, living a life of a Melchizedek, living a life of a Lenanidic son. So he's got to experience all of these different levels of creations until he does his final seventh test. And that is, he will pick one of his inhabited worlds below him, and he will live the life of a mortal on that planet. Okay? okay. So we were like a lottery hit. You're talking about 3.8 million worlds, and he picked us. And there's a reason for that. Okay? And, and that reason is because we were kind of like a bad world, a double whammy bad world. So let me explain. Yeah. Tell me how. So Christ and the Mother Holy Spirit, they create these Lonanidic sons of God. Uh, it takes them a long time. I mean, you got to raise them, train them, school them, and you test them. So these Lenanidics are, there was 12 million created. And they're in, so Christ's universe, which is a piece of the Milky Way, is broken down into a hundred constellations. Every constellation is broken down into a hundred systems. A system will have at the most a thousand inhabited worlds. Okay. Well, the, these Lenanitic suns are in charge of the systems, and they're also in charge of the planets within that system. And, and so this Uranus book says, in past history, there's been rebellion 700 times on planet level, but only three times at system level. And the worst one was the last one, and that was Lucifer's rebellion. So Lucifer is this Lenanidic son of God that went into this default 200,000 years ago. But see, Lucifer only had 600 planets. He, he's only controlling the system. So it's a small group of planets. And um, he was able to draw in 37 worlds into this insurrection. Okay. And um, his second lieutenant, second number two in charge, there's Satan. So it tells you who Satan is now. So you now, now you finally see the picture of these two beings. And um, now the interesting thing about this is adjudication. Boy, I don't know if I want to get into this right now or should I wait a little <laughs> bit, but this is like, you know. But anyway, so there's a rebellion. It was going on for a long time. It's not, it, normally, if if, uh, if a creator's son, like Jesus, if he finishes all seven tests, he can deal with a rebellion immediately. And it just it just goes away. These people get executed. They're just, they're gone. Okay. But that's not the case when he hasn't done the seven tests. Okay. So when Christ came here, okay, he has finally finished the seventh and final test. And the reason he picked this planet is because when Christ was ready to pick a planet, he's like, he's got 10,000 systems below him. Right. And he knows Lucifer is in rebellion. So he's going to go down to that area. That's where he's going to go where the trouble is. So he picks this, uh, our system, 
And then, you know, and from that, you could see that 37 worlds go into this rebellion. So which of the 37 do you pick for your final test? Okay. Whether you look at our planet, we lose our Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve, 37,000 years ago, they come down here to a planet that's been cut off from communication. All of these rebellion worlds get cut off from all communication. And it, it makes it very difficult for them to... Uh, progress a planet. What they're supposed to do, Adam and Eve are instructed. Now, keep in mind that the world is already inhabited with beings at this point in time, a lot of beings. And what right. they're supposed to do is uh, create like, uh, I think it was a half a million to a million children. And then those children are supposed to mate with the beings and it's supposed to help our genetics. So, okay. So you're saying that the Urantia book says that the earth was inhabited by a creature that was not humans and, and Adam and Eve were the true humans that interbred with them. I mean, would that be like well, the Nephilim? No, no, the, the humans evolved through normal evolutionary processes. Okay. Right, we, we got to that primate level a million years ago. And then a government gets set up 500,000 years ago. And there's a interaction there. And they're actually trying to improve and teach the human society, you know, how to do things. Uh, but in in between that first revelation and that uh, second revelation is when that Lucifer rebellion occurred, and that that was a game changer because that, now the world went to with the uh, crap. I mean, and, and just not our world. There's thirty seven worlds. Um, so Adam and Eve, every planet gets an Adam and Eve. There's like a pool of them. Okay, you know they when a planet's ready, they volunteer like, hey, you know, can we, you know, I get. Can I go? So they, they they pick a couple, they prep it. The government on the planet knows they're coming. They start to build the Garden of Eden ahead of time. There were actually three locations they were going to pick, so they end up picking the, the the better one. They Adam and Eve come here, and then they help finish the garden. And then they were supposed to have all these children, but. And then the children would, would then breed with the humans and would help our genetics. But after a hundred years, Adam uh, Eve like really felt things were going too slow. It was frustrating because they have no communication with you know the outside, and um, she ended up having uh, mated with one of the local intelligent men that she was working with for a long time. She wasn't supposed to do that. You know, uh, an angel appeared and told Eve, you're warned, you're going to have to leave now. Uh, she basically was going to get cut off from the the, uh, the energies that kept them alive indefinitely. And uh, and then once uh, Adam found out, it was like, you know, he, he did not want Eve to leave and he's going to stay there alone. So he goes out and has sex with a woman. So he would get the same punishment. So basically, they all, both of them, both went into this default. They had to die off a normal life now, which is 500 years. So they eventually they 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 died. Um, they tried to breed as much as they can to help the genetics of the planet, but that was the default. And then so now we lost our Adam and Eve. So we our planet was not like the other 37 worlds. Okay, we get the double whammy of being in this Lucifer rebellion. Plus we lose our, lose our Adam and Eve. And this is why Christ picked this planet. To do this final test, so it was huge. So, so who, 
who was or what was the structure of the government that you mentioned that was in place on planet Earth at that time? Do you does it say anything about that, or uh, I mean, was it like local, or are we talking like a, a global society? Uh, most of us, it was. Uh, well, I mean, eventually humans would would spread out, but in the beginning, when you when you're going back to uh, five hundred thousand years, uh, most of it was that local in that one region okay. where, and, and there is a whole interesting discussion on that. They took, um, fifth, they took 50 volunteer women and 50 volunteer men. And it sounds like they, uh, extracted DNA from them because it talks about how they volunteered, uh, something. I don't, they didn't use DNA, but what they did is they, we're able to create a uh, hundred, 50 more females, 50 more men. And in, in order for them to donate, you know, their, whatever their DNA, whatever they donated, they were able to live indefinitely too. So that you had now 200 people working together. That was the initial government of this world. And they would go out and they would just set up things and train people and uh, educate them. And uh, so, so we're not talking about like like a, a a higher functioning or like like an advanced global civilization or anything like that. I mean, this isn't like no, a, a, okay, no, a, absolutely not. Okay. Yeah, this is just uh, the basics for you know back then the tools of what they had back then. Okay, um, yeah. So um, that that's kind of like a, a general summary of what went down. But then you know it gets very complex. Uh, only because the people, uh, there's the races. The races are very interesting. Um, normally, these Neanderthal people, you know, they all pretty well look the same. But they talk about planets get the uh, the three primary races. There's three primaries and three secondaries. Not all planets get all six. We get all six. And, and it occurred in one family at some point in time. So it, the world's inhabited and this one couple, it's almost like God does, does these little things, but this one couple ends up getting, producing 19 children and the children have like different skin colors, indigo color, right? Reddish color, yellow color, orange color, greenish color, okay. Bluish colors. And it was unusual, but these are called the Sandgate races. Three were primary. That would be the red, the blue, and, and the yellow, and three are secondary. Okay. And, and they talk about that when these children grew up with a skin color, they would go out and get wives or husbands. Okay. And then let's, if it's an indigo race, that would be your, your blacks. And then their children would just have black skin. Okay, and same with the yellow. The yellow would be the Asians. Okay, so the children would go out, and, and so you're breeding with these like Neanderthals, but their children are all going to be skin color of that color. So now you know you're evolving as the population continues. Now, so now you got a mix of all the original, you know, Neanderthals. Right now, you're starting to see colors being introduced. Uh, the Green races, and, and it's always battles. Like, yeah, we don't like your skin color, and they fight, and you know, and they get wiped out. So the orange race gets wiped out, 
the green race gets wiped out. Uh, the black race finds safety by migrating south to Africa. So this book goes into, you know, the, the races and it just gets so complex. And your ancient book goes into this in great detail, which parts of the world these groups migrated and how they tie it to what, you know, what they have found. So you can imagine how complex the story is, but this book gets into this complexity. It's amazing. So uh, how about those years that Jesus was active that are not in the Bible? What does it say about his travels at that time? Oh, just the whole, uh, this whole story is uh, amazing. First of all, Jesus had, uh, he was the oldest son. There There were nine children. Okay, so he was the firstborn. Okay, and um, and, and this is the interesting part because I'm, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here. Joseph, his father, right, being a carpenter, eventually became a construction lead. Okay, so he became a, a regular contractor. He's running his own and, crew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, his father dies when he's like, I think, 16, around 16 years old. Okay. Well, his mom, Mary, is, is pregnant still. Okay. And uh, she has to go leave to the, where the construction site is to go visit because he was still alive at the time. And Jesus had to um, take control of the family while she was gone. But she came back and basically he had, he had died. So... I find it's interesting that Jesus now gets to be the father of his family. Yeah, you got baby Ruth hasn't been born yet. She's only going to know Jesus as the father because mm-hmm. the oldest son is now taken, has to be the man of the house. Now. Sure. So he raises the, the rest of his brothers, sisters, plus baby, you know, Ruth gets born. So I think it was just an experience that God wanted Jesus to have. Sure. Is what I believe. And it would make sense, you know, so, I, you know, that had a whole often things uh, for him to do anything. But there's a lot of stories as far as some of the trips he made, some of the, uh, you know, when Jesus was, uh, I mean, they go into the great detail, how much, what furniture he had. Like it was like a simple flat table, like all of these, uh, the details of his whole life is incredible. So how he would play on a roof. Yes. What's the what's the structure of it? I mean, like, you know, obviously, you know, the the books of the Bible are written from the point of view of whoever is, you know, it's like, you know, whatever that book is, it's from that that apostle's point of view or from uh, the point of view of whoever's reading it. Uh, And it's and and so, I mean, it's really giving like parables and teachings and stuff. And, you know, the 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 actions of Jesus is this more like. Like, uh, like, like narrative, like, I mean, like it's, it's written like, as if it's, uh, like it's a, a like an actual book or is it, you know, I mean, what's the structure like? I mean, it, each section, when, when you read a different section, it, there, there's at least 20 authors that wrote this okay. book. So when you, when you, uh, look at the table of contents. It's 196 different papers, and you'll see, you know, Archangel Melchizedek, another Archangel, another weird name. Okay. But when when you look at them all, you, you see it's about 20 different authors. Okay. 
And so each one has their own writing characteristics. So the, the different sections that you read come across differently. Okay. You know, you can tell, you can tell they're different writers. It's a different so all, voice every time. Yes. Yes. It, it's a different voice. So you get kind of different levels of that, of, you know, telling the story. But when it gets to the, the, the part of Jesus, that was done by a midware commission and they were not, they had no limitation of what they were allowed to uh, gather. Uh, they were allowed to talk to people that were alive at the time. The people have moved on, died and moved on. Uh, they were able to get all the records and all the data. Uh, they were able to get um, everything from the thoughts of Jesus because the angels can read his thoughts Okay, when he was on this planet. So you were getting what Jesus was even thinking in some of these circumstances. This is the kind of detail that you were getting. And it, it just it blows me away when you read this stuff and you start to uh, to see these things. Like for, I mean, I'll give an example. Uh, there was the wedding at Cana, making of the wine. So a lot of miracles he he did. That was one miracle that he did not do. But it looks like he did. Okay? Let me explain. Okay. Okay. So they have the wedding. They run out of wine. And Mary has was just bugging him the whole time. This is your time to, you know, do something. You know, and Ray was, she was relentless trying, trying to get him to make the wine and all that. Okay. Well, there's angels all around him, right? They're there to do uh, Jesus's will, whatever he wants, right? And for a fraction of a second, this book says like in a fraction of a second, Jesus thought about making the wine in the barrels. Okay. Well, the angels know what he's thinking. Well, they responded. And they immediately made the wine the long way. Like it takes like a year to make the wine. But this book says the angels have the time factor. In other words, they can, t- you know, take a year of time and crunch it down into seconds. Mm-hmm. And literally just within an instant, there's wine in all of these barrels. And then people see all the wine. Oh, Jesus made it. Yeah. And, and Jesus, like, he, he was kind of like shocked, but he knew what happened. He, he realized his angels responded to him. They made the wine. And from that point on, he, he realized he had to now be uh, careful, not only what he says, also what he thinks, because these angels are just ready to do his his bidding. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but most of the other miracles he actually, you know, personally did. And, and it kind of makes sense. You know, he's like, does God really want him to make wine for the... <laughs> You know, it's like, okay. I mean, that kind of makes a little sense here, you know? (laughs) So the, okay. So the, the, the books themselves, you mentioned uh, something about them being edited. Um, Even the very first version, I mean, how do we know that, you know, that wasn't edited in some previous fashion or that somebody because, I mean, if there was a 20 year gap or something like that that came out from when it was initially written to when it finally did come out, um, you know, how, how, what what assurance do you have that this is the original incarnation, I guess, of this of these writings? Um, I'm, I'm not really sure. I can't. I okay. don't know if I can really answer that. OK. Um, OK. But yeah, I, I do know uh, that. A human had to take handwritten uh, 
papers that, were, that came from above and literally type it into the typeset. And I know there were some mistakes made. And I'll just give you one example. Uh, the uh, the beans from above, they were talking about ga- gamma, like the gamma symbol. Okay. Which kind of looks like, when you write it, it kind of looks like there's a Y. Mm-hmm. Well, this typesetter thought it, it was a Y. Okay. So put it in that way. So, and it, when you look at the context and how it was, what they were saying, clearly it, it was supposed to be gamma. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and, you know, so those are the kind of mistakes that I'm fine with. Go ahead and make those changes. But, you know, there are other changes that were made uh, that, you know, people, some people agree, some people don't agree. And they're usually minor. It's really not any huge changes within the book itself. Most of it's it's still the same. But you just have to keep that in mind. I like having the original version. So well, I got many, many. I mean, I, I think that makes the most sense. What about the actual writings themselves? Are are those preserved in any fashion? I mean, does any of these societies like like hold on to them as if they're uh, like a holy book itself? I don't think so. If, okay. if they if there are, I don't know if they are or not. So let's. I'm going to go back to the Kellogg's and the Sadlers. Is this like the Kellogg cereal family? Is that the same family? Yes, it is. Okay. Okay. And. <laughs> What do they have anything to do today with the Urantia book or with any of these various foundations? Uh, I mean, the, these people are dead now. I mean, well, no, I mean, I, obviously, but I mean, like, there's a legacy, you know. I mean, somebody is carrying this on. I'm, and what I'm interested in is because I mean, this is, you know, I, I mean, like, I. It, I, I, I'm, I'm interested in like what their foundation was before. You mentioned they were doctors, they were skeptics. You know, that's interesting. I'm wondering if, you know, there was any particular religious foundation that they had previously uh, or if this was like a spontaneous event that happened and they just suddenly said, you know, hey, th- there's this thing that's happening and we got to record it. Yeah, I, I just recently read that uh, – that the Sadlers left the Ad- Adventists. They didn't agree with what the oh, so they were Seventh teachings were. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm assuming that they must have been, if they left something and just didn't like it anymore. Yeah. And and so I don't think they were, I don't know what religion they were from that point. Probably none, or just straight Christian. Okay. Um, but, and... And, and you know, this is this is not a religion, but I mean, it seems like perfectly ripe for there to be some structure around it. And you know, I mean, you said that you haven't really had anything to do with the Urantia Foundation, but do you get the sense that they want to have some sort of like New Age type religion, or is it is it just not that deep? I mean, I, I sound like just the book speaks for itself on its yeah. own. Yeah, um, it really does. I mean. Um, you just got to really read it, and it's man, it's tough to read too. I mean, I'm not really, I'm good at math, but I suck at vocabulary. So they use every word in the English language, and they say that in the beginning. They said, We're, you know, our instructions are that we're going to use the English language and we're going to try to use all, you know, explain all concepts the best we can. We'll introduce new terms if we have to, <laughs> you know. So they're telling you that right in the front end of this book, you know. Um, you know, it, it's it's a uh, it's massive. It's not easy to read. It gives a lot to it. some sections easier, 
like the story of Jesus, uh, that that's a lot easier to read. Uh, it, it's just a, a great section. I mean, and you really get a lot of the confirmation of these miracles and some of the trips. Uh, I, I love his, you know, the early life. And you really get to see when he was a child and who his friends were. He had a one good friend and when bullies would pick on Jesus, his friend would like, you know, beat him up or take care of him. It's like, don't mess with my buddy Jesus, right? <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> you know, so you see all these little details, you know, in, in the book. Uh, and uh, it, it's really uh, unbelievable. Uh, now, let me talk to, let, let's talk about what happened in 2015 okay. to me. And this gets to the uh, eclipses. So it took me two years to validate the book. Once I realized, okay, this is the real deal. I can't believe nobody knows about this. So now I'm reading it, and I'm in my 20s, early 20s, my whole career. So when I was working at my missile defense contractor, I told all the engineers about the book, you know. Um, And then it was 2015. I'm just about ready to retire, and my uh, technician comes up to me and says, hey, there's a total solar eclipse going on in North Africa. And I said, great, love to go see one, but, yeah, I'm not going to go to Africa. <laughs> I go, where's the next eclipse in the U.S.? So we get on NASA's website because they got them all listed, right? And so we look ahead and like, oh, look at that, 2017 is going to be one. It's going to go from Oregon to South Carolina. I remember. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was excited because I was going to be retired by then. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to be going to that shadow line somewhere. You know, it's like I can't miss that. So, but then I saw the date of it. The day was August 21st. And like I looked at it, I, I turned to my technician, Jeff. I said, Jeff, you know, I read it, your answer book. I said, August 21st is the day Jesus was born. So this book says he was born 7 BC, August 21st. And um, I thought that was really interesting. Didn't think much of it because I knew probability wise, it was a one out of 365 probability to get that hit. And I kind of blew it off. Well, interesting is this Urantia book says we have this fragment of God inside of us and they give it a name, a thought adjuster so the thoughts that ping your mind all the time aren't always yours right it's 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 god like leading you keeping you out of trouble zach don't go over there's danger you know people get these feelings right Mm -hmm. the second i blow off this eclipse like ping the next thing that pings into my mind is go look ahead at the next eclipse so i get back on nasa's website and look ahead farther and it's like oh there's going to be another one april 8th 2024, seven years later. I mean, this one that's coming up is going to go from Texas to Maine. Okay. And then I saw the David, you know, when it said April 8th, I'm going, wait a minute. This book says Jesus died on Friday, April 7th and rose at 3 a.m. in the morning on Sunday, April 9th. This is the days in the tomb, April 8th. And that was the moment when I realized there's something going on here, you, you two eclipses, one hits his birthday, one hits his death time, makes an X over the country, right? This X. And 
probability wise, you're supposed to multiply numbers. So now it's a big number to be able to hit them both like that. It's like, there's no way something's going on here. So immediately, bing, next thought pops in my mind. What's there? What's X marks the spot? Okay. Okay. I get get on uh, Google Maps and I start zooming into that section. So it takes me down to the very bottom of Illinois down there by Kentucky, you know, where the rivers come down below Carbondale, you know, and I, I started looking around. I see Giant City State Park. I'm like, man, what's, what a weird name, Giant City State Park, you know. And then I see this weird water tower. I didn't know it was a water tower. It's like this big ball held up by these three stanchions and this observation deck below it. And then a spiral staircase that went to the ground. And it said on this, you know, on the image, it said, from this observation deck, you could see the ball knob cross of peace. And like, what's this cross they're talking about now? So, you know, I dig into that and I start researching this ball knob cross and the freaking images that came up were, it was unbelievable. This, this thing's huge. So on a hill, a thousand foot hill, sitting eight miles away from this observation deck, you can see this 111 foot tall cross. And I'm going, no way. There's a cross at this intersection of the two eclipses. And I'm thinking, no way. How how dead center is this, right? So I, I take out my engineering graph paper, right? And I'm mapping out. I knew the first eclipse, 2017, was 70 miles wide, right? Mm-hmm. So I mapped that out. The one we're coming up in April 8th, 130 miles wide. So it's a rectangle. Mm-hmm. So when I mapped it out, it was like this cross ended up being less than 1% dead center of these two freaking shadows. It's like, it's, it's like a bullseye. Wow. It's like, no way. It's like th- there's great meaning to this cross. Something's going on here, you know. And then I started doing research, like where the cross come from, you know. And uh, so back in the year 1937, which I find interesting because here the Urantia books finished out two years earlier. Mm-hmm. So in 1937, uh, two men, it was a businessman and a minister, they wanted a place to put a cross for all Christian denominations. And so there's, oh, the tall hill nearby. Let's go put it there. And I'm thinking, yeah, the thought adjuster in each of these guys are telling them to put it on the hill, right? They don't know that God's leading them. They're just going with their thoughts, and they end up putting this uh, smaller cross on the hill. Well, the local community loved it. And so when the 1960s rolled around, they got enough funds from the local community, they built this giant cross. And so when this cross got built in the 1960s, it was the largest cross in the Western Hemisphere. This thing's huge. Tell me again, what, what's the name of it so I can pull it up? See my shirt? Oh, okay. The Bald Knob Cross. Okay, got it. <laughs> Bald Knob Cross of Peace. That's when I went there. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, interesting. All right. So, so, so now get, get, get this. This is uh, kind of interesting. I'm thinking... Holy smokes, I need to be there for the eclipse. If there's any place I'm going to be in a shadow line, it's got to be the cross. So I, I sit there and I, my wife and I, we, we drive up there a couple of days ahead of time, mm-hmm. uh, we get our little hotel room, and then we drive up the cross. So, and, and oh, by the way, yeah, I won't even get into this other data, but, um, there's like 200 people. You had to buy tickets because it was the, obviously a great observation place because it was the tallest hill around. 
So it's clear all morning. And um, I'm just sitting there. As the moon's getting closer, a bunch of clouds rolled in. And I'm like, oh, this sucks. Right? So the clouds start to cover right when the moon's getting close, you know, to the uh, to cover the sun. And I still remember, as soon as that moon covered the sun, I looked up without my, you can see it now without worrying about the sun blinding you, right? Because it's, it's getting dark. And I still remember looking up, Zach, going, oh, it's a cue, a freaking perfect cue for us. I kid you not. The, I mean, it was at the right orientation and everything. It was like a perfect bright ring because the moon couldn't cover the sun completely. The clouds opened up on the bottom to form the little cues. And I don't think anything of it. This is 10 weeks before the first cue drop, mm. right? Long forgot about it. 2017, and then 2018 comes around. I find the cue data. I don't even, I forget about it. Then 2020 rolls around, and my buddy that was with me at the thing, he videotaped it. And he sent me the video. And I watched his video. He's showing all the people how dark they are. Then he pans his camera up. And holy smokes, he freaking captured it on his video, the cue. Wow. Okay. I put, posted that on my Substack. So goat herder, Substack, you know, dot com. So you can see that on there. It's near the bottom of the prophetic. Uh, there's four Substacks. I got my pre-prophetic life and prophetic events and if you scroll near the bottom of it you'll see this cue which is pretty pretty wild but yeah so 2020 when i saw that my mind like got jogged i, I remember it. it was like i've never seen that now i almost i actually forgot about it and it was pretty amazing okay i just uh i just got to it i'm making yes. it big so the audience can see it okay there we go Okay. All right. And there is the map. There is yeah. the uh, the water tower. Yeah. There's yeah. the cross. Yeah. It's it's it gets prophetic. Can I, can I get into the yeah, prophetic keep, stuff? Yeah. Keep going. We're uh we're actually at ten o'clock. So after after this, we have to wrap it up. Yeah. Th- this is a. Uh, this is crazy. So the Orange Foundation comes to Orlando in 2010. Okay. Okay. Uh, I finally decided maybe I'll meet these people. I show up for their little conference. A bunch of us show up. And so I, I meet other readers that just happen to stumble across the book too. And I met one of the trustees there, the Orange Foundation. I gave him a copy of my chemistry chart that I had developed because uh, he was a PhD in radiology. We we're talking atoms. And after that, we formed a little study group, just us, the people in Orlando. We just would meet at our houses and read. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I still blew off the foundation, just really not interested in them. Well, in 2015, at the same time, I figured out these two eclipses, right? This guy from this ranch foundation uh, gets a hold of me and says, hey, we're having a special science symposium up in Chicago in June 2016, we want scientists to present papers to prove God exists using the science. He goes, hey, I still got this chemistry chart you gave me, you know, back in 2010. He goes, would you be willing to write a paper? And I knew I was going to be retired by then. So I said, yeah, you know, I could do that. I've never 
presented my two charts before. And, and man, I want to just people understand these are not my charts. These are how God has organized the atom. That, that's what this quantum data is. Okay. He just led me to the patterns to make these charts. But anyways, I agreed, and uh, he gave everybody a year to write their papers. So I'm one of 10 scientists presenting papers in June 2016. And when I'm up there, man, I feel there's angels around. I know it. And I they have a, like a 20, it was a three-day event. They have a 20-minute silent prayer session every morning. And um, so I pray for a sign from God. I'm just like, man, give me a sign, God. Well, that weekend... The lady that does the newsletter for the Urantia Foundation, which I didn't know they had a newsletter, Zach, to be honest with you, because I just didn't follow it. But she goes, could you write a trip report? You know, I, 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 you know I'm asking you first, you know, that you're experiencing flying up here and presenting your paper. I need it fairly quickly. So I said, yeah, maybe they put me up for three days so I can do that. Oh, sure, I'll do that for you. So, you know, so I fly back to uh, Orlando. All these weird events occurred. And my wife can't pick me up. There's like this terrible Uber experience in Orlando called Uber Black. That's a whole story in itself. It's all on my Substack, by the way. So if you read the Substack, you'll get a lot of these details. But um, the next morning after I tell my wife, I, I'm building this house up here in High Springs. And I had to leave her the next morning. But I grabbed my laptop because I'm thinking I better knock out this this trip report for this Granger Foundation, you know. And... What I did not know is this seven-page trip report was going to be a prophetic document. Had no clue. I'm just thinking it's going to be a trip report, right? So I'm just like, trip to Chicago. And I start, you know, typing. And I'm just letting the thoughts, you know, flow in my mind. And I'm just going to all the detail of the trip and all that. I'm getting to with the stuff with the airplane. And, and it was just this Uber drive. All of these details kept coming in my mind. And what I didn't realize is God is telling me, put this in next, put this in next. You'll understand later, <laughs> and and boy, do I did I understand later. Um, I the first night I picked up the second night. Second night, I'm starting to finish this trip report, and um, it's like the first thing is like the thought keeps coming in. Check for spelling errors, like what, what you typed the night before, and I find a spelling error and I fix it. Right, and I'm ready to start again, and it's like the thought kept coming in check for spelling errors again. I reread what I typed and like, oh, damn, there's another one. And I'm ready to start again. And, and it kept, it, kept, it happened like a dozen times. It was really weird. So it, this communication was now going on between this thought adjuster and, and me. And I, and I got it. I finally understood it. Like, oh, this is really, you know, interesting experience. So I go to sleep. Okay. And then also while I'm sleeping, the phone rings and I look at the clock. It's three. A, a 3 a.m., 3.00, 3 a.m. in the morning. Okay, I'm going like, man, who, who's calling me 3 a.m.? So I, yeah, I pick up the phone, and it's my wife. She's crying. She's really, she's upset. And I go, honey, what's the matter? Well, we had a baby white male goat that got rejected by mom, so we've been bottle feeding it. Mm -hmm. And this baby goat just died in her lap. Mm. Okay, I calmed her down, hung up the phone, and immediately the, this thought adjuster tells me to go finish this trip report and right now 3 a.m. in the morning and I got it it's like I, I understand everything the communication I opened my laptop to go finish the last third of this trip report and that was the moment 
that God reveals to me that the adjudication of Lucifer just occurred at that moment. And it makes sense because the Rancher book says that the court case of Gabriel versus Lucifer just began in the early 1900s when the data was being disseminated. This Urantia book says that Christ, the second coming of Christ, will occur someday, but it cannot occur until Lucifer is adjudicated. Okay, I just get the message that Lucifer was just found guilty at that moment in time, okay, which correlated to the dead goat and all that. But um, that particular uh, moment, Jesus and the Mother Holy Spirit were both crying. So I'm experiencing that they're really upset. And the reason they're upset is because, the you know, the Bible says a third of the fallen angels, you know, went with them. And that's true. So this Grinch book shows you that. You got these Lenanidex that went into default. A bunch of other beings went into default. Fallen angels, you know, went into default. So it was, it was a whole group, okay? And these these are the children of Jesus in the moment of the Spirit. I mean, they've got millions of children, but, you know, and uh, what was really interesting is this guilty verdict, they're crying because their children are going to be executed. So that's why it was so upsetting for them. Execution occurred the next day because God shows me the prophet John Hinkle. John Hinkle in 1992 heard these words from God. I will rip the evil from this world on Thursday, June 9th. It was the only thing he heard. No year. It was Wednesday, June 8th, when I get my message. So God shows me the correlation. There was a one-day delay of execution. Okay. But this is huge. And uh, all of these things, uh, I'm instructed to put this all in my trip report, finish it with the three words, it is done. Okay. This is so important to the Urantia Foundation. I go into the the detail of my substack on what happened next. I'm in communication with this guy from the, the foundation. Uh, I was prevented from sending this trip report to him over and over again. I didn't get it. Like I, I, I'm using Microsoft Word, right? And I'm trying to save this thing to my flash drive on my laptop and it wouldn't save. I'm trying to over and over again. I go grab my flash drive and it almost freaking burns my fingers and I, you know, and I'm thinking it's an engineering issue, right? I'm an engineer. Mm-hmm. I don't realize I'm being prevented. You know, I, I drive back to Orlando the next day. I try to transfer. I'm trying to get this file to the Rancher Foundation. I try to um, transfer it to my wireless on my other laptop, you know, because my wireless and my email was set up. And it's like, my wireless is dead. It's not working. You're like, what's going on here? I still don't get it. Angels can manipulate your hardware. Sure. I get it now, but I didn't know it at first. So I called Scott. He, Scott was the leader of our study group. And I told Scott this story. What happened? I said, look, I'm coming over. I'm going to try. We got to try to get this file off this laptop. So, you know, we meet, meet up with a third person, Suzanne. Uh, we, we figured out that the DVD burner still worked. And he had two blanks. It was like, oh, this is great. So we burned it, the file to two DVDs. I give one to Scott, give one to Suzanne. I'm all happy. I drive home. And then so I'm waiting for I said, Scott to see me. I'm waiting the file, right? So I get home and I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. And like, I have finally had a call of Scott. I go, Scott, how come you haven't sent me the file yet? What's, what's going on, man? And he said, I, I tried 10 times to send it to you. It, it just won't send it. So it's undeliverable. <laughs> and, and then that was the moment I realized, oh, it's like these angels are trying to tell me something here. 
Okay. Like, don't send it to this guy that I'm communicating with, basically. <laughs> the second I realized this, right, Suzanne's email comes in. She sends me the file, and it, and it comes through immediately, like almost immediately once I realized that. Only the file is no longer Microsoft Word. It's in a Google Book format, which she did not do. Hmm. And I'm thinking, this is really strange. And, and so I didn't care. I was excited. I grabbed a file. I put this guy's name on it, hit the send button, hit the send button, hit the send button. No, nothing. Would not let me send it to this guy. I end up calling one of the other 10 scientists. Uh, her name was Margie. I call her up. I go, Margie, you won't believe the story. So I tell her this whole story of what happened and all that. And she said, why did you try sending it to the 10 scientists? You know, that presented the papers to prove God exists. I said, good idea. So I run inside. I find the email list, hit the send button, boom, goes right to them. So clearly that, that's what was going on. I call for, for an emergency study group for everyone. I, and so we meet at, it's on Saturday okay, at noontime. So I said, I have to read a seven-page trip report to you. Okay, so I read it to these six people sitting on my couch. The second that I was done reading it, God does this thing again to me. Like, boom, instantly, I know all of the double meanings in this trip report at that second. And so these people on the couch have no clue what God just did to me. So all this knowledge comes in in, a, in like a second of time. And I'm going, guys, everything in this trip report has double meaning. And I start going through everything. I'm going like the baby goat represented Lucifer dying. Uh, the beta, like the lady on the airplane with a little kid that's represented the mother Holy Spirit. She raised Lucifer correctly. It wasn't her fault. It's all on Lucifer, you know. And I'm going through all of these things that were the double meanings. And like there was a tropical storm. I said, this represents tribulation. The, the seven years between the two eclipses, tribulation. Uh, and it was just like one thing after another, which, uh, but the thing that really I didn't see coming, it was this terrible Uber black drive. And it was, that whole story was in his trip report. And, and I said, this represents, it's going to be an, an attack on Orlando. And um, that was the three, three of the people in my study group, this flat out did not believe me. And I, I, I said, well, you know, thanks for listening. And maybe that's what God's trying to tell me. Half the people I told us to, you know, won't believe me. So anyone, everyone went home and I go to sleep wake up before my wife the next morning, flip on the news, pulse nightclub shooting occurs that freaking night. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and I don't get it. I'm just like panicked because my daughter's not, we live 10 miles from there. So like, where's my daughter? You know, she's like 19, 20, not in her bedroom. Like, holy shit, was she there? You know, run, wake up my wife. You know, my wife says, nah, she texts me. She, we're good. She's, knew about the shooting and decided to spend the night at a friend's house. So through that whole day, uh, I don't make the correlation until Suzanne calls me uh, and she says, Hey, maybe those other three will believe you now. And I said, well, what are you talking about? She goes, what you said with the uh, attack in Orlando. And, you know, and I'm like, oh, man, it's like, I don't get these things right away. Zach. <laughs> it's, it's like, and then it just made a correlation of holy smokes, man. I just didn't see that coming. And then it's, it's like over the, over the years, you know, 
it's like God showed me the prophecy of the popes. He showed me this the earthquake that may be occurring from John. Uh, I don't know if you know Joe Brandt, Earthquake Dream. No, no, I don't. 1937. Isn't it oh, interesting? I, no, same, I do. I do. Yes, actually. Yeah. yeah the we, same, yeah. same freaking year that these two people put the cross on the hill. Yeah. He yeah. gets that vision. Well, I've studied that dream over and over again. Okay. And, you know, the backstory the kid fell off a horse, gets a concussion, gets put in a hospital for four straight days. Mm-hmm. And then he has this vivid, reoccurring dream. And of all places, he he's plopped down on Hollywood Boulevard, right in the tourist area. Okay, and he's seen the future. He he's like looking around, like the cars are weird looking, like the buildings are taller. You know, he he lived at Fresno, so he knew Hollywood Boulevard. But he's like describing all of these uh, these future things. He's starting to see like kids his own age with beards and earrings. Okay, it's like why do kids have beards and earrings? You know. He looks down, he sees the named stars in the sidewalk, right? Well, Hollywood Walk of Fame is from the 60s. He's seen this in 1937, okay? He starts to see, like, kids in Halloween costumes. and But he says, but it's not Halloween time. It appears to be early spring. Now, keep in mind, the eclipse coming up April 8th is early spring. Mm-hmm. I'm just throwing that out there for you, okay? He sees a, a glow around everyone's heads. Okay, he's seen he's seen the cell phones. Mm-hmm. This is the tourist area. Everyone's snapping pictures, taking videos, right? So he doesn't he doesn't know what a cell phone is. He can only describe it as a glow he sees around people's heads. So it's the it's the times we're in. Interesting. He also saw a uh, he kept sensing something big was going to happen. Um, but he he saw a newspaper stand. And he said the president is on the front page, but it, it's not Roosevelt. But it's a, it's a big, tall, heavy guy. Okay. He just saw Trump on the front page of the newspaper. And so when I put all these pieces together and I'm looking at this second eclipse coming up and, and it correlates with the tribulation period that's been revealed to me with the two eclipses, you know, you, you, it's like, oh, it's like God has set this thing up and, and it's about to, uh, and, and let me tell you how bad the earthquake is. The earthquake starts to occur. Buildings are coming down. Joe Brandt don't like the dream anymore. <laughs> God throws him up in the sky, like way up there. So Joe Brandt is now looking down on the whole city of LA, and he describes a whole coastline kind of going up, 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 and slowly going in the ocean. It sounds like it broke at the San Andreas fault line. Mm-hmm. Okay. But Joe Brandt said, I could see farther. He said, San Francisco, the way the plates were, it flipped upside down. And he's like now given like this vision of the world. He's like he said Japan went under. He he sees the gap of the Grand Canyon close in. He sees Boulder Dam break apart. Uh, he starts to see this map of the world. The Red Sea went up in sea level. Suez Canal dried up. He starts to see all the looting in New York City, but there's no earthquake there. He, the good part is he said the people who live in rural parts of this country aren't really affected by it. But this is a worldwide earthquake. And it sounds like the Pacific Plate blew. Interesting enough, Zach, the Urantia book has a section on plate tectonics hmm. and how the plates move around through history and how they sink into the ocean. And it says the Asian plate hung up 200 million years ago and is at the precipice. It uses the word precipice. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, 
holy smokes, is this what's going to blow the whole Pacific Rim? Because Joe Brandt saw tidal waves in the Pacific hitting Hawaii. Mm-hmm. You didn't didn't see anything like that in, in the Atlantic side. So I'm just cautious now because it seems like a lot of things are lined up. So I'm just, you know, I'm just throwing it out there. You can do your own research. It's in my Substack. So I put the links of the Joe Brandt video. I put other links in there. So anyone wants to read it, just go to her, you know, go to her.substack.com and you can see that. I do. Can I put a plug in for uh, a Urantia website? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah. It's it's called UB Annotated. So it's a a good friend of mine, the only Urantia guy that actually showed up at the cross with me. So UB Annotated.com. This guy has done a fun, he spent his whole life researching your ancient book tying events together he's got a whole timeline of history of the events and then history of the urantia events and how they correlate in time so he just a massive amount of research he's done uh halbert uh like i said he was the only one that showed up at the cross no one from that urantia foundation that i told to when i presented my papers in 2016 i brought with me images of the two eclipses and people were intrigued you mm-hmm. know with a big cross at the, but nobody showed up at, at that eclipse at the cross so you know it was kind of you know let down yeah <laughs> let down well we'll see right, right now i'm not going there i'm not going back i yeah. feel like hey if this uh, joe brand dream comes true uh you know I think I'm going to stay home here. You know, I, probably a good idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to die in an earthquake either. All right. So <laughs> we've, we've got to go through the, the thank yous and the, and see if there's any questions over here on Rumble and on uh, Pilled. Over here on Rumble, Fredo said uh, – well, he said a couple of things. He said uh, some of this stuff seems pretty out there. Next thing you're going to tell us that Michelle Obama has a penis. <laughs> Mohap. Uh, my mother says, what does the book say about the second coming? Does it say anything? Yes. It does. OK. Well, what does it say? It, it, it absolutely says that um, – and we did briefly talk about that. So the book validates that, yes, there's going to be a second coming. But he can't come back until Lucifer's adjudicated. Mm-hmm. Well, I just got the message, Jack, so he can come back now. And if I was to take a guess on when, I, I'm going to be at that cross back at August 21st, because but- that would be exactly seven years. And we, we have gone through four years of, of shit if this earthquake occurs, because this Urantia book makes also this statement. We... Uh, Jesus could come back if there's a world crisis. Mm-hmm. That would pretty well be a world crisis. Certainly, certainly. All right, Fredo said, I asked Google AI about this book, and it just said Jesus was black. <laughs> GTFO, cracker, <laughs> odd. Oh, my God, that's pretty funny. <laughs> it is, yeah, Fredo's good for that. Uh, Boozer says, I'm just starting the show, but I really like where this seems to be headed. Uh, another great guest. I love the weekend shows and the range of different guests you bring on. Thank you, Boozer. That's uh, that's what my favorite part about the show, too. Uh, and then Fredo says, it seems to me a lot of the themes are similar to what we've been taught. Same basic message, but with different details and explanations. Great discussion. Have fun tomorrow, Zach. Uh, banana dance. I think maybe there was a, a gif in there or something like that. Yes, thank you, Fredo. I am looking forward. I'm going to be in Lakeland tomorrow. There's kind of a, a, a meetup that's taking place. Uh, Filter Dog One says, is your rancho like a spider? 
I don't think Urantia, Urantia is planet Earth, essentially. So I don't know about that. Uh, Porpoiseful, thank you for that. Thank you to Sean Joe. Thank you to Filter Dog. He says, uh, give the new UI a chance. Yes, Pilled.net has a new user interface. I encourage everybody to go over there. Make sure you've got an account uh, and check it out because it is totally new, totally different. Water Wizard, thank you for the can. Sean Joe, thank you as well. Thank you to Sean Joe for the cookie and another cookie. Michelle Ann, thank you. Thank you to Sean Joe. Uh, Porpoiseful, appreciate you. Thank you again to Sean Joe for two more cookies. All right. We are at the end of the program, guys. As I said, I have a, a very early appointment in the morning. But uh, as I always like to do, go to Herder at the end of the show. Uh, what would you like the audience to most take away from tonight's uh, discussion? Uh, don't believe a word I say. <laughs> Read the book yourself yeah. and make your own determination. Do your own research. Okay, excellent. Excellent uh, advice, wise words. Let me go ahead and pass out these gold pills now. And uh, this is the one thing the User interface does not take me back to my video. So let me see. I have to go back to my profile and then pass out the gold pills. All right, there we go. Thank you very much, you guys. Uh, I will be traveling tomorrow, but I will be back tomorrow night at 9 p.m. Uh, David Baumblatt is going to be back on the show. He's the uh, the former FBI agent who was targeted by the government and now lives overseas. So join us for part two of our conversation. Goat Herder, thank you again for reaching out. Thank you for being here tonight. I sincerely appreciate it. And everybody at home, good luck and God bless. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you, Zach. No, thank you. Good night, guys. <laughs>